I was trying to prep for uh, today's Easter message and think about where our cycles of violence end us up at. How do we end up at scenes like a crucifixion? And I was remembering a story, a movie that I was kind of haunted uh, by that uh, I don't usually like to spoil movies, but I feel like it's one that's probably not on your list, so I'm okay, I feel like. Uh, it's the A24 movies up for uh, in the best picture category of the Oscars this last year. The movie was The Banshees of Inishirin. And it's a movie set in early 1900s Ireland. And you've got Irish kind of war squabbles between brothers going on in the distance. And in the foreground is a story about two friends who lose their friendship. Uh, Colin Farrell shows up at, uh, at Brandon Gleason, his character's house. They have a two o'clock pub appointment that they go to every day. And this day, his friend doesn't acknowledge he exists. He can see him through the window. He's knocking on the door, nothing. And he's confused. He goes to the pub. The people are like, hey, where's your friend? I don't know. And he's lost and he's, he's trying to find out what's going on. And, and finally, the friend tells him, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And you can imagine the character is confused. He's, well, what did I do? I don't think we were fighting. What, what's going on? And so he keeps asking and he keeps asking him. And he finally is told, I, I just don't like you. I don't think you're worth my time. And you won't leave me alone. How do I tell you that I want nothing to do with you anymore? And so the seller of this movie is that the character tells Colin Farrell's character, if you come see me ever again, I will cut a finger off of my hand. For every time you come to see me, I want you to realize I want nothing to do with you anymore. And that makes no sense. Because what, what did I do? And the character is so nice that he keeps going back until his friend has no fingers on his hand. And he doesn't understand. He keeps wanting to return the fingers. And he's like, are, are you crazy? <laughs> he means it. He's going to hurt himself. Please don't go see him anymore. But he's like, I just want to understand why, why my friend is, is doing this. And eventually the friend kills the animal of Colin Farrell's character who he loves, cares for like it's a child to him. And that is the end of the story for Colin Farrell because you've killed the thing that I've cared about. And so Colin Farrell tells him, he comes to his house and he tells him, I am burning your house down tomorrow. I'd like it if you weren't in there. I'd like it if you let your dog out. But that's what's happening. And in the midst of the squabble, there are times where policemen and people come in and mistreat each other and they stand up for each other where there's still this weird brotherly love in the midst of this hate. But at the end of the story, these two men are left standing on the shore, looking out around the Irish fighting, realizing that sometimes there's a point of no return where it feels like you have escalated your, your dis disruptive behaviors, you've escalated your violence, you've escalated your hate, and now there's just no coming back. How do we ever find peace after we've raised the stakes so high? And that's what the people in Ireland are wondering as they're going to war with their brothers. And that's what's happening in personal lives. And maybe it's not on this kind of caricature level, but maybe you've experienced for yourselves, uh, maybe you've had a, a spouse that you were upset with and you were annoyed that they didn't pay attention to you. You were annoyed that they didn't do what you asked, whatever it is. So you thought, you know what, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to poke them at something to get their attention and strangely, that doesn't help. 
and then they poke you back and they you poke them back and before you know it you're like why on earth are we fighting like this and this happens with friendships this happens in work environments where a work environment becomes toxic and you just can't work together anymore this happens on a national level where our political parties can't help but just try to win against each other there's no sort of conversation there's no figuring out middle uh, grounds of how do we figure out how to to do some things we can agree on. It's just, I need to defeat you and at all costs. And so our whole lives are wrapped up around stories that cycle into more and more violence, more and more pain. And that is the story that we encounter with Jesus. That Jesus was going around the, in, in Judea and Galilee, and he was healing people. He was making people who felt like they were outsiders feel included. And that all sounds like good news. And you might be really confused why on earth anybody would want to crucify someone who was treating people nicely. How do you get to that point that someone is nailed to a cross when it seems like they're just caring for people? It's like, you didn't want him to care for the lepers. You didn't want him to care for the outcast. Well, he likes those Samaritans. I don't like that. But the people with power did not like his disruptions that he was messing with their system. They knew how things worked. They liked their control. Elevating other people felt like you were shrinking their status. And so you end up in a situation where people do not like that Jesus wanted the temple to be a place that Gentiles, that people on the outside could also come and pray. Uh, and so he's throwing over tables and disrupting the temple mechanisms. And people say, we have to do something about him. And so the crowds become mobs looking to figure out how do we create mob justice? How do we lynch Jesus? How do we crucify Jesus? And so they take him before Pilate. And Pilate says, you know, I don't see anything wrong with him. Pilate's like, well, you know, I'll send him off to Herod. Herod, I don't see anything wrong with him. But the people are like, no, no, no. You don't understand. He's not a friend of Caesar's. That's the only thing that talks to people like Pilate. Uh, your boss isn't going to like it if you're okay with this guy. He's telling us to not pay our taxes. We know from other stories that's not exactly what Jesus was saying, but, but that's what they tell him because that's what will talk to someone like Pilate. What friend are you of Caesar's if you're willing to accept this guy who's a, who's a rival king? He's not Caesar. He's saying he's king. He's not saying to pay taxes. What are you going to do with this guy? And it's in that that they take Jesus uh, to the pinnacle of where violence leads, to ultimately to try to snuff out life, to, to execute him, to end him. And it's with that that I want to read our text from today, from Luke chapter 23. It says that when they came to a place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And then they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who, were, who was hanged there 
uh, kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Says you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. When all the crowds who had gathered there for the spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts, but all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text from Luke is very intentional about saying a lot of times there's no charge against Jesus. He is innocent. And that is the the underlying theme that makes the story the tragedy that it is for these crowds because they have the mob mentality that they know what justice is they know what is deserved they know what's right let's punish this guy all the guilt and the shame the bad feelings you have the things you hate about the world let's throw all of those people all those things all those feelings on jesus he certainly deserves it let's get rid of this guy but the herods the pilots you know what I don't see it. The thief on the cross saying, hey, I, I deserve my sentence. This guy, what did he do? He's, a, he's innocent. He didn't do anything. He doesn't deserve this. And the moments that is painful, I, I feel like we, we miss the pain of the ending of the story, is Jesus cries out his last breath, and the centurion says, surely this man was innocent. What if you were on an execution squad and you were given that duty to give the lethal injection, to crucify the person, and you realize you've been a culprit and this guy was innocent? Like that's convicting. That's, that's, that's a tough thing to hold on to of like, how do you go home that day? How do you go to work the next day? Like, do you trust your job the next time you got to go carry out the Roman orders the next day. We thought we were bringing justice, but we just did injustice. This man was innocent. And the crowds also have their own version of this. I mean, they were calling crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But at the end of the day, they go home beating their chests and crying and wailing. Where they seem to recognize, maybe we were wrong here. There's often a moment where we've done something that we felt like was going to give us a nice cathartic release. When you said that harsh thing that you thought would make you feel better, when you did that thing that you thought, oh, I just need to rib them a little bit, and then you realize, I went too far. You stepped too far. And what, what can I do? You might have felt the pain of that of someone who's just said something really awful and ugly to you. And you knew that was a moment they went too far. But we've also had those moments ourselves where we went too far. 
And the pain of that is you're like, well, there's just nothing that can be done. Like, how, how would I make this up? How do I fix this? Uh, can I please, like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. What do I do? The story is about radical forgiveness. I feel like we all think that there's a mathematics involved in forgiveness. Did the person deserve it? Did they ask for it in the right kind of way? All of these kinds of like, can I figure out the calculus of forgiveness? But in this story, we have Jesus on a cross saying, while people are mocking him, while they're ridiculing him, while they're saying that you're, oh, you think you're the savior. Oh, you think you're the king of the Jews. Isn't that funny? If you, if you are, just come down. And in the midst of that, Luke gives us one of the most powerful verses ever saying, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It didn't say, Father, once you get enough blood from my body, forgive them. Jesus' whole ministry, he's walking and telling people, hey, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, wait, what did he say? You don't get to forgive sins. Only God can do that. And we don't trust whether God's going to do that or not. But it's God's job, and, and, and how dare you say people are forgiven? But Jesus' is a whole ministry, he's gone and he's tried to fix the broken systems and the broken people and tell people that they can live again, that you don't have to live under the burden of the shame and the guilt, but live free into a new reality. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that kind of forgiveness is hard to accept. In our own lives, if people are willing to offer radical forgiveness, we don't feel like it's fair. We don't think like it's, it's deserved. And we're like, uh, you're just a too soft of a person. You're too, too soft, Jesus. You know, we want the judgment on some other people. Not me, please, but, uh, but the other people. Please judge them still. But Jesus gives forgiveness even on a cross. Uh, maybe about a month ago, I was in Orlando on a uh, fellowship event uh, down for the Seeds Conference. And I was sitting at a table and there were some different speakers who would come. And so there was someone at my table I didn't know. And you're just kind of having a conversation. And then they go up and they go to talk. And I go, oh, they're the speaker for the session. And they get up there and she's like, well, you know, I've got two daughters. She explained her, her older daughter's name and her family life and her situation. She's like, I've got another daughter, Michelle. And, you know, you have the, the kid that you worry about, the kid you don't worry about. And, and here's Michelle. You know, Michelle came home with a, a boyfriend one day and I just really didn't like the guy. Just, we, it just, maybe it was a really bad day. It just, it did, we didn't get along. And so I just felt really weird about the situation. And then, and then some months go by and I got to meet him again and he seemed so much better. I was like, oh, I don't know why I was so judging of him. Like it, like, okay, I can get on board with this. I can get on board with him. He's a good guy. And several months later, she had, a really weird dream and she had this weird mysterious kind of ominous kind of dream uh, with her, her daughter in the dream and she's like i don't know what that dream's about and the next day she had the exact same dream and she's like i do know one thing if i have the same dream twice i'm i'm going to have my radar off of what on earth is going on what what's happening why am i dreaming that the next day she got a phone call that her daughter had been murdered by that boyfriend. And you can imagine the shock, the grief, the pain. And she said she was standing in her kitchen and she felt like she heard the voice of God say, 
forgive him. And she was like, I really don't want to do that. That's not on my list. I don't want to forgive that guy. How could you murder my daughter? She didn't know it at the time. He had shot her 28 times. She said, God, okay, I'll forgive him. And she heard one more thing. He should be a son to you. And that's the step that I think most of us couldn't travel. Because that was the hard thing of if I can actually forgive is one question, but how on earth am I supposed to take on this guy who did this awful, horrible thing to my daughter? And if you can imagine that when she eventually says yes to that, starts trying to communicate with him, reaching out, it's one thing for her journey on forgiveness, but how do you tell your husband, I think that I'm supposed to be like a mother to this man who killed our daughter? How do you tell your sisters, your other daughter? And so her and Roy have, have wrote a book um, talking about their relationship and the struggles of trying to figure out what forgiveness looks like in the midst of some awful grief and tragedy. And that is a story that challenges me. And it reminds me of how challenging our story is with Jesus of, can I actually accept forgiveness? Because I do want the calculus that somebody deserves the forgiveness. It feels wrong in our hearts when we're like, no, you don't deserve it. You deserve the judgment. You just deserve pain. This woman actually wrote to uh, the court system and offered in a hearing her plea that they'd not give him the death penalty uh, for the murder of her daughter. And I don't know how many of us could do that. But I do know that the beauty of our gospel is, is that God is the kind of God who forgives us even when we absolutely don't deserve it. On our worst day, you make the worst decision of your life. You say the thing you don't, you can't get back in your mouth. You can't make your hands undo what you've done. God still on a cross might proclaim, they just don't understand forgive them. God is extravagantly forgiving. I think for so many of us, when we make mistakes, we try to run away from God. We kind of want to be like Jonah. We want to run the wrong direction. They go, oh, if I can get this place, God won't see me anymore. If I just don't pray, God won't notice me. If I don't read the Bible, if I don't go to church, maybe I can just get by and I won't have to experience God and he won't we won't have any problems. But God is like that prodigal son's father who's always ready to run out to you. It's like, hey, you took your inheritance. You, you said I was good for dead. Guess what? When you come home, I'm running out to you and I'm embracing you and I'm throwing you a party. That's who God is. And I know for, for many of us, we might have experienced faith that looked like a very judgmental version of faith very concerned on the boundaries of making sure you did everything holy, just make sure you stay in the box. But the beauty of our story is, is that Jesus has given forgiveness. That you could be a thief on the cross who says, I deserved it. 
I don't know what how awful of a situation it was that he actually feels like on the cross, no, I deserve this, because that looks like the worst kind of execution style, and I don't think anybody deserves this kind of level of, of anger and hates and violence put on them. But what is it that God offers us forgiveness? Today, I hope whatever shame or whatever guilt you might be carrying along with you, whatever feels like is weighing your shoulders down, whatever is making you hunch down and you're just trying to make it through life, I hope that you can say yes to God who wants to remove that burden from you and let you live freely and freshly. And that is a gift that we don't earn, we don't deserve. And because we don't earn it and we don't deserve it, shouldn't we also extend that to our neighbors, to our friends, to coworkers? What if someone crossed the line? And, and again, there's certain kinds of safety and boundaries. Uh, I know we can go to the extremes, but, but maybe someone has said something hurtful and you say, I want to figure out how to restore this relationship and I'm going to figure out how to forgive even though I really don't want to right now. Maybe we can offer that forgiveness of each other. That we might start to live into what it is to be a forgiven people who is aware of that blessing, who's aware of that gift, and who want to extend that to those around us. And that's what makes uh, Easter so beautiful is that all of that guilt and that shame, the reason the crowds go home beating their chests, feeling like they've done something wrong and are sad, the reason that the Roman centurion is like, oh my goodness, quite literally in some of the gospels, oh my God, he was innocent. That God raises Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday, which is not just about life instead of death, but maybe, just maybe, there's a possibility where God is able to renew and restore things, things that you thought were so broken, the things that you were so ashamed of, God can revitalize and bring about healing for. I was so guilty, I was so, so distraught, but Christ is risen. All that shame, all that, that guilt, it's, it's been canceled out. God has renewed him, resurrected him. And so all of the disciples and all of the resurrection stories are going to deal with their own versions of how do I live into forgiveness and how do I live into this new day? And, you know, Peter's going to have to be like, man, I denied you. I don't know if I can get past that. Can you get past that? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Thomas, ah, Guys, I, I really wish that was true, but I wasn't there. And uh, I'm from Missouri, so I'm from the show me state. So I kind of understand Thomas of, of wait, you're, you're going to have to show me. I don't believe Jesus has risen. Uh, I need to see it for myself. I need to touch it. And Jesus says, okay, fine, touch. He offers scars, proof of the pain and the problems and the violence, but they are renewed, they are healed, they are life-given hands again. So can we get past these cycles? Can we get out of our never-ending violence, our never-ending hates, our escalations of those things, and live into the hope that is Easter, where life and forgiveness is possible? That's a world that I want to live in. It's a world that is here, but yet not fully here. 
but we can choose to live into that today. Do you want to accept and receive that forgiveness? Do you want to extend that to the next person? That's the beauty of Easter. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are aware of the fact that you have loved us when we were not acting with love. You've given us hope when we've been in despair. You've lifted us up when we've wanted to lay down and give up. Lord, I ask that for anyone who in the room feels that weight of, of guilt and shame that you might just embrace them, that they might feel the, the weight of those things lifted off as they ask for forgiveness from you. Lord, I pray for the strength and for the courage for those of us who need to ask forgiveness also of others in our lives, of the people we know we've wronged, that we might be able to just admit those things and say, I'm sorry, that you might be able to start working healing in those relationships. And Lord, for wherever there are hearts that are dried up, that feel like stone, we ask that you might cultivate those hearts so that we might be able to offer forgiveness to those around us who have uh, who have hurt us. Lord, may we enter into a world where we no longer crucify those that we hate, but we might learn to love them as you teach us to love our enemies. Lord, help us to see that around us. Help us to live in a world that lives into that grace and that hope and the beauty of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.